Well, turn in your Bibles tonight to 1 Peter chapter 5. No, not Genesis 1. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 5. I uh, kind of had on my heart tonight to, uh, for this to be kind of a tune-up message, you know, and uh, we have to do regular maintenance on our cars, and uh, those of you that have the wrong kind of cars have to have oil changes and stuff like that, but, uh, uh, you know, there's just certain things that we have to maintain. Here's an area of maintenance in our Christian life, particularly where our prayer life and our faith walk is concerned. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 Peter's writing to the church by the Holy Ghost, and he says, Casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, the context of that is in verse 6, where he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So the Holy Ghost is telling us that God wants us to be in a position where God can exalt us. But there's an important element. And one of those important elements, well, before I get there, I guess I should comment on something you probably already know most of the church world thinks of humbling themselves as thinking less of themselves than the bible says they are looking at themselves as unworthy and insignificant and whatever other words you want to put in there most of the church world thinks that's being hum- uh, being humble or showing humility but that's not what the bible identifies humility as the bible identifies humility as accepting god's word to be true no matter how you feel or what it looks like to you And here's a a specific aspect of humility that the Holy Ghost instructs us. He says that a part of humbling ourselves before God and putting ourselves in a position to be exalted is to cast all of our care over on him. Let me read this to you from the Amplified. Casting all of your care upon him for he careth for you. In the Amplified it reads this way. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Isn't that good? Let me read that again. Here's what the Holy Ghost is telling us that we need to do to put ourselves in a position to be exalted. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Now the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So if we're going to make a doctrine out of this, the principle of casting our cares over on the Lord. I mean, I guess we could say in a general sense without looking any further that God wants us worry free. But that's easy to say. How serious is God about that? Well, as I said before, then the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. We see what Peter is inspired by the Holy Ghost to say. Let's see what Jesus was inspired by the Holy Ghost to say. Look with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. The context is that Jesus is talking about Well, verse 24, I guess we should start with verse 24 to get the context. He said, no man can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or else you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon is usually identified as as the world's riches, but it's not just the world's riches. It's, It's material things of every type. It's not just money. It's talking about the material things of the world. 
So he's putting himself, Jesus is putting God in contrast with the material things of the world. Spiritual things versus physical or material things. Therefore I say unto you, for this reason I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Now again, those are easy words to hear but hard to, to live up to. Take no thought for your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink. I don't know about you, but, but, but food's pretty high on my priority list. And if I don't have something to wear, I don't go anywhere. And you're all glad about that. Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Please understand that Jesus is conveying the thought that if God takes care of the birds, he'll take care of you. Therefore, take no thought for your life. Don't worry. God will take care of you. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? I like to interpret that verse as this. Worry doesn't help anyway. If worry worked, we'd all be successes. But worry just doesn't work. Somebody said worry is kind of like a rocking chair. Keeps you busy, but you don't get anywhere. And why take you thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is... And tomorrow is cast into the oven. Shall he not much more clothe you, O yield little faith? Now, I never looked at this verse of Scripture in this way until I heard Charles Capps say something about it. But it's an interesting thought. So I'll put it out to you and let you judge it for yourself. He said God will, either feed and eat, God will even feed and clothe people of little faith. I never looked at it like that. I always looked at it as Jesus saying, what are you worrying about? It's a sign of having little faith. But Brother Caps looked at it from the other direction. He said, God will even take care of people in material things that have a little faith. Therefore, because God will take care of us, therefore take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles, representative of the unsaved, seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Jesus is saying very simply uses a lot of words to say it, but he's saying very simply, you don't have anything to worry about. You don't have anything to worry about. God knows what you need. He'll take care of you. Now, Jesus leaves no wiggle room in this whatsoever. He says, take no thought for your life. Take no thought for tomorrow. Brother Hagin had a phrase that he used to use a lot. That The first time I heard it was from him. Well, the only time I heard it, I guess, was from him. And it's always stuck with me. He talked about something he had to deal with, and the Lord told him, don't even touch it in thought life. 
Don't even touch it in thought life. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying don't touch tomorrow in thought life. Now we have to make plans. We have to, you know, arrange ourselves and organize schedules and stuff like that. That's not what he's talking about. But when it comes to what the, the question of what are we going to do or how are we going to make it or whatever other phrase we might put in there, he's saying don't even touch that in thought life. Can you imagine how people's lives would change if they'd live up just to that? Can you imagine the time that people would save if they didn't touch tomorrow in thought life? It's easy for these things to creep up on us. I know I'm not telling you anything new. I know I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But it sure is easy for tomorrow to creep up on us, isn't it? It sure is easy for the cares of this life to creep into our thinking. And that's why I say these are, this is one of those areas where we need to keep tuned up. Where every now and then we need to do a maintenance check. We need to check ourselves. Are we concerned about tomorrow? Have we allowed worry to enter in? Well, we see what Peter said and we see what Jesus said. What about Paul? Look with me over to Philippians chapter 4. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. If the Holy Ghost says something three times... Particularly if he uses three different people to do it. He's trying to make a point that we can build a doctrine on. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Be careful for nothing. That's a little blind to us. In the English language or in the King James translation. The Amplified says. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. But in every circumstance and in everything. By prayer and petition. Definite requests. With thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. Be anxious for nothing or be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing. Now, why is the Bible making such a point out of not worrying? Because worry will stop your faith from working. Worry will just flat stop your faith from working. God intends for you and for me to live a carefree life. Now, it's pretty easy to tell who is carefree. You can see it in their face and in their life. God wants you to live a carefree life. Now, what are we supposed to do? We, I mean, the, the, the life that we live is certainly filled with cares. What are we supposed to do with them? Well, back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting the whole of your care over on him. The whole of your care. Every bit of your care. Every bit of your worry. All of your anxieties. All of your concerns. Cast them over on him. The word cast means to throw like you throw something away. Or throw something away from you. If you're a fisherman, you know what casting is. You take the lure and you throw it away out there where the fish are. Throw it away from yourself. The Old Testament, uh, uh, I mean, the Septuagint, I should say, on this verse, says, roll the whole of your care over on him. Roll the whole of your care over on him. Well, that means the same thing. It means you get rid of it and give to him. Roll the care of yourself, whatever care you have, the cares of your life, the cares of your body, the cares of your circumstance. Roll those over on him. There's a funny thing about cares and worries. They can only be carried by one person. So here's your option. You can either carry them yourself or you can let Jesus carry them for you. 
You can't take half and him take half. There's only one handle on them. Either you've got them or he's got them. There's no middle ground. Now, why in the world should we have the idea that we can have a carefree life or should live a carefree life? Well, turn with me over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. I want to read to you beginning in verse 14. John said, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, that's the sticking point for most people, that phrase, according to his will. Because too much of the church world is unsure and unclear on what the will of God is. But let me just make this statement. It's impossible for you to pray the word and pray out of the will of God. You just can't do it. Jesus said in John fifteen seven, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. The foundation is the word. Pray the word. If you're praying the word, you know you're praying his will. Well, that's what John's talking about here in 1 John 5. Here's the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, or we could insert according to his word, he hears us. And if, literally since, that word if is the word since. And since we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, folks, there's a place in faith. Well, as I said before, let me, let me restate something. Faith, the prayer of faith or just standing in faith, will not work in an atmosphere of worry. I know there was a, a situation when we were in the building program, the toughest part of the building program some years ago. And I had, uh, at the beginning of the year, I don't always do this, but sometimes the Lord has, has prompted me. A few times the Lord has prompted me to believe him for certain things during a calendar year period. Well, this was one of those years. And so from the beginning of the year, I had begun to say, thank God for so much money. Come in for the church. Well, I didn't think too much about it. I mean, it was something I, I felt impressed in my heart to do. It wasn't something that God spoke to me about. So it wasn't a, a loud booming voice on the inside or anything like that. It was just an inward witness. And so I just began to say, thank God for X amount of dollars for the church in whatever year, the calendar year it was. And um, I'd say it just about every morning. It wasn't a ritual type thing, but in the showers, usually the place where I'll make certain confessions and remind the Lord and talk to the Lord about things. I can't sing in the shower, so I might as well talk to him. So... Uh, Anyway, it was pretty much a daily thing. Not every day, but, but pretty close to every day. And three months went by, four months went by, five months went by, no big deal. Six months went by, seven months went by, eight months went by, nine months went by. I didn't think too much about it. I'm still saying the same thing, still making the same confession every day. And then we got down to about, um, well, it was late October, maybe, maybe even early November. We wound up with about with less than two months to go in the month in the in the year, two months to go in the year, and I'm behind in the amount of money that I've confessed for, a half a million dollars. Now the total amount that I was confessing for was just about a hundred. Uh, well, if I remember correctly, it was a million and a half. So I'm two thirds of the way there with two months left to go, or less. 
And the devil started screaming in my ear. I mean, it just dawned on me one day. Wow, this is the first of November or whatever it was. Time's running out on this year. Well, I knew exactly where we were on the on the yearly income. Just had got an income report. So I knew exactly where we were, and I knew exactly how short we were. And the devil starts just speaking to me over and over again. You don't think there's any way in the world you're going to get a half a million dollars in two months' time. You're not going to have one-third of the year's income in two months. Well, I thought about that a little bit. I considered it a little bit, and I thought, well, that is kind of short time. A lot of money in a short period of time. Well, a week went by. I held fast to my confession. I didn't change anything that I was saying. Held fast to my confession. Now I've got seven weeks or whatever it is. Another week went by. Now I'm down to six weeks. Another, went by, another few weeks went by, and I'm down to December. I'm in the early part of December, and still $500,000 short, roughly. Well, the devil is really having a heyday with me now. He's telling me, now you're a month closer. You got less than 30 days. Actually, it got down to about two weeks, to be honest with you. You got about two weeks left. There's no way in the world $500,000 is going to come in. I began to worry about it. For about two days, I began to worry about it. I didn't say anything, but I let worry creep into my thought life. Remember, the thing is not just what you say, folks. Jesus said, take no thought saying. Cast all of your cares on him, all of your anxieties, all of your worries. Certainly, your confession governs you, but your thought life will govern your confession. So I picked it up and I started thinking about it and I started assessing. Wasn't exactly doubt, but it wasn't exactly faith either. So I began to assess, well, what will I do if I come to the end of the year and I didn't hit my number? Does it matter? Well, it did in the place in the church that we're at, the the building fund, construction phase and all that kind of stuff. It made a big difference. So I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Didn't say it. But these are the thoughts that are going over in my mind. So I finally just came to the point where I said, it was late one night. I just said out loud, I said, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to go to sleep. The Bible said God gives his beloved sleep. I'm not going to think about it. I don't have any control over it anyway. I'm not going to worry because the Bible says cast my cares over on him. And the next morning when I got up and got him in the shower, I began to go through the confessions, and by this time, I'd become a little bit timid in my confession of the amount of money for the year. But I I said it. I said what I'd been saying all year long. And as soon as I said that, all of a sudden on the inside of me, the Holy Ghost rose up and quoted Mark 11, 23. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now when he, when he spoke those words into my heart, immediately I realized I've been saying this all year. I've been doing exactly what the Bible says to do. I've been saying this all year. And at that moment, something happened. I was strengthened in my faith. I had a confidence that I hadn't had before. 
And within 10 days' time, $500,000 came into the church. Now, let me ask you a question. Where did faith begin? It'd be easy to say, well, faith began when the Lord spoke into your heart, Mark eleven twenty three, because there was something extra there. I can't deny that. Something extra happened there. But if I hadn't begun to speak in faith in the first part of the year, he wouldn't add anything to quicken to my heart. But I'm going to go even a step further. Certainly faith began when I began making the confession in the first part of the year. But faith took a step forward the night before when I said, I refuse to worry. Faith will not work in an atmosphere of worry. It just won't do it. And I think a lot of times we allow, our, allow worry to creep in and we don't realize that we've done it. And we're nullifying our own faith or putting our faith on pause, keeping our faith from being active and bringing in the result. Are you out there? As a regular thing, I'll say every week or two, I'll say, I'm carefree. I don't have a care. I don't have a worry. And there may be worries stacked up on every hand when I say that. But I've never come to a place since I started walking with the Lord. I'm talking about walking in the Word, not since I got saved. But since I began to walk with the Word, walk in the Word, walk in fellowship with the Lord through the Word. I've never had a situation that I was concerned about that I didn't go to him with. Well, John just said, we just read in 1 John 5, that if we ask anything according to his will, and I'm smart enough to know that to identify the will of God is to find out what the word says. And so when I take my situation, take my cares, take my concerns to him, I always take it with the word. If they're financial concerns, I take scripture's own finances. If they're physical concerns, I take scripture's own healing. I have never yet not taken in the last 38 years, I guess. I have never not taken a care or concern to him without taking the word with me to prayer. So I know I'm praying according to his will. And John said, if we know that we're praying according to his will, we know he hears us and we know we have what we ask for. If that would ever really sink in on us and dawn us, that'd change every one of our lives. Now turn back with me to the Old Testament. Turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 40. I believe the Bible tells us not to worry in a lot of ways that, um, that the word worry is not used. Isaiah chapter 41. Notice verse 10. God said to the prophet Isaiah, fear thou not. Well, worry is fear, isn't it? Isn't it? Have you ever worried about anything you weren't afraid of? I challenge you to find something that you worried about that you weren't afraid of. Because if there's no fear about it, then there's nothing to worry about. So when the Bible tells us not to fear, it's telling us not to worry. That would be a part of it, wouldn't it? It'd have to be. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. The word dismayed is interesting because it means don't be bewildered or amazed by what you see. Don't let what you see affect you. 
Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Yeah, but I feel so, so weak. Well, God said, I'll strengthen you. But I feel so helpless. Yeah, I'll help you. Yeah, but I feel so unworthy. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, if God does everything he says he'll do, there isn't anything to worry about. Is there? Fear thou not. Well, if you're not going to be afraid of anything, that means you're not going to be worried about anything. Nobody worries about things they don't fear. I don't worry about the sun coming up tomorrow because I'm not afraid of it. I don't worry about good things happening tomorrow because that'll be good, not bad. You see how worry and fear are attached, don't you? Or connected. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. Doesn't say trouble won't come. God says there's nothing to be afraid of because I'm on your side. Be not dismayed. I love this word. Don't be bewildered or amazed by what you see. Another way to say that might be don't be moved by what you see. For I am your God. That means whatever comes that might cause you to be afraid or cause worry, God's bigger than that. That means whatever the devil tries to throw up in front of your face to make you fear, God's bigger than that. I will strengthen you so you don't have to worry about being strong enough. Yea, I'll help thee. You don't have to worry about not knowing what to do. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Don't have to worry about the devil telling you you're unworthy to receive whatever God has for you. Turn back with me one chapter to chapter 40. Let me start reading in verse 28. Hast thou not known... Do you not know? One translation says. Don't you know? Haven't you heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? He doesn't tire out and he doesn't get weary. There's just a shade of difference between faint and weary, but they basically mean the same thing. God saying twice, I don't get tired. You might be tired, but I'm not. You might feel like giving up, but God doesn't. There is no searching of his understanding. I love this part of the verse because there's so many times that people come and they, I want to be kind how I say this. What they really want, they're asking for prayer, but instead of prayer, what they really want is they want somebody to feel their pain or understand how hard it is talking about the situation they're in. But here it says there's no searching his understanding. He understands. You may be in the toughest fight of your life. You don't have to ask God if he cares. He understands what you're going through. There's no searching of his understanding. It's way beyond what you could receive from somebody else. I've never known anybody to understand my situation that makes a difference anyway. After they show their sympathy or whatever it is they express, I'm still left with believing God on my own. It doesn't matter if anybody else understands. God does. 
Doesn't matter if anybody else knows how tough it is. God does. He gives power to the faint. When you feel like you're giving out, there's power available. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. When you think you've come to the end of your rope, there's more for him. From him. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. He's not talking about physical strength. He's not talking about physical ability. But they that worry about the Lord shall renew their strength. Well, if that's the way that verse read, there's a lot of Christians that would be a success. It says, but they that wait upon the Lord. This word wait is interesting because it means to bind together. To bind together. But to them that tie themselves to the Lord. How do you do that? Through his word. Through faith. They that tie themselves to the Lord. Now I believe it means to minister to the Lord. I believe it means to offer thanksgiving and a number of things like that. Those are all characteristics of binding yourself to the Lord. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Folks, if God is true to his word, we've got nothing to worry about. I've had people, bless their hearts. I've had people that want to come and tell me how they're praying for me. And they... I'm not criticizing anybody. But not everything that people try to help you with is helpful. We've all found that, haven't we? I've had a number of people that come and they'll say, Pastor Mike, I just want you to know, I'm praying for you. Well, if they're praying for me because they feel sorry for me, they're wasting their time. Faith won't work in an attitude of feeling sorry for yourself. And if they're praying with a whine in their voice, that won't work either. That's part of worry. That's part of cares. That's part of anxieties. Faith won't work with the whine in your voice. Faith says no matter what it looks like and no matter how I feel, the word of God is true. So if you're feeling sorry for yourself, just realize the devil has found a back door into worry. He's gotten you to accept worry by disguising it as something else. And boy, it's easy to feel sorry for yourself. It's easy to compare yourself to somebody else in their situation and say, well, they've got it better than I do. And they don't even believe God like I do. They don't live as good a life as I do. They haven't served you like I have. It's easy to get into that. And it's the trap of the enemy. For faith to work, it has to be based on confidence. The confidence of what God said. And again, this is something that people come to me sometimes wanting me to pray for their healing. And they are so into this place of feeling sorry for themselves that it wouldn't matter if Jesus himself appeared to them and touched their head. They wouldn't receive anything. Let me close with Romans chapter 8. Paul wrote about this. 
anybody had a right to feel sorry for themselves, it had to be the Apostle Paul. All he did was serve God, and everywhere he went, he was persecuted. Paul starts off in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. He said, what shall we then say to these things? Well, here's his answer. He's saying, what is going to be our confession? If, the word if is the word since. Since God is for us, who can be against us? And notice where Paul has come to the place, what place Paul has come to. Paul's not worried about who's against him anymore. Paul's not trying to justify himself versus his enemies. He's not in a place where he's complaining that the Jews are after him. I personally think Paul was there at one point. I think when Paul prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh, the persecution to be taken from him, I think he's feeling sorry for himself in a lot of ways. And I don't condemn him for it. I don't criticize him for it. I've certainly been there myself. I can understand that. But the Lord responded and said, my grace is sufficient for you. He didn't say there's no deliverance for you. He didn't say I won't help you. He said the redemptive work of Jesus doesn't include persecution. In fact, Jesus said those that live godly in Christ Jesus, those that live godly shall persecute you. I'm sorry, I'm messing this up. Jesus said if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Paul came to the place where he realized that those that live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. Paul understood. He came to the place where he understood it's just a way of life. Well, then what's his hope? If persecution is going to be a way of life for the Christian, what's his hope? That's what he's talking about here. Here's my hope. Since God is for us, who can be against us? What difference does it make who's against us? Who cares who lines themselves up against us? If God's for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. How do we know God's for us? Well, if you're operating on his word, it's impossible for God to be against his word. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's what God being with you means. Everything God has is at your disposal. Here's another question he asks. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? There's a lot of people that will try to condemn you. The devil will condemn you through your own thoughts, speaking to your own mind, and he'll try to use other people to bring condemnation too. So who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Here's the answer. It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather it is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Paul is literally saying, it doesn't matter if people try to condemn me for what they think about me or what they think they've heard about me or what, whatever other reason. I've got Jesus seated at the right hand of God as my intercessor with the Father as proof that I'm joined together with him and justified by the blood of Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword Paul's experienced all of those things and he knows that they're not strong enough to take you away from the hand of God. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Folks, if we're more than conquerors, we don't have anything to worry about. Doesn't mean there's no fight. 
Doesn't mean it'll be easy for us. But it means we win no matter what the fight is. I mean, God sees us through. He carries us through. For I am persuaded. I believe Paul's speaking from his own personal experience here. For I am persuaded. I've experienced this. I know this. That neither death. He's faced death plenty of times. Nor life. Nor angels. Nor principalities. Nor powers. Nor things present. Nor things to come. Nor height. Nor depth. Or any other creature. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that goes back to thirty, verse 31 where it says, since God is for us, who can be against us? You can't be separated from the love of Christ by any of these things or any of the, any other things that aren't mentioned. Who cares what's against you? Who cares what's against you? Brother Hagin used to tell a story. I don't know if it's a true story or not. He used to use it as an example. He said that back in the Depression days, people would travel long distances by train. Planes weren't, air travel wasn't a, well, it was just coming on the scene, I guess. So he said people would travel longer distances by train. So he said this one fellow had a pack on his back and had a suitcase in each hand. He's walking down the tracks. He comes up on a uh, group of men working on the, that work for the railroad repairing a certain part of the track. And so the, the foreman of the railroad gang Saw the guy coming, so he sat down his stuff and walked over to where he was. He was just going to speak to him and find out what was going on. And so the guy put down one suitcase and reached in his pocket and pulled out a ticket and said, Now, I've got a right to walk this track. I've got a ticket right here in my hand. So the foreman looked at that and he read the ticket and he said, Man, this doesn't give you a right to walk down the track. He said, This gives you a right to check your baggage in the baggage car and ride in the Pullman. See, this guy's carrying his own luggage down the road, carrying all the weight of his own stuff, just like a lot of Christians go through life. When they've got a ticket to ride, they can check their baggage, let the train, which represents Jesus, carry the weight of it, ride in comfort in the Pullman car, and when it's time to eat, go into the dining car and eat everything on the table. The Bible says Jesus sets the table before us in the presence of our enemies. Well, on that table is a great big bowl of victory. On that table is everything you ever need. The Bible says healing is the children's bread. If you need healing, just ask them to pass the bread. Everything you ever need is on that table. And you've got a right to ride the train. Don't carry your own stuff through life. Don't walk the tracks carrying your load. Cast it over on him. Live a carefree and worry-free life. Knowing God's on your side. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that there's nothing that's too hard for you. We thank you that because we have your word, we know that we have you on our side. We know that if we pray anything according to your word, which is your will, that you hear us. And we know that if you hear us, then we have the petitions that we've desired of you. So we cast the whole of our care over on you, Lord, once and for all. All of our cares, all of our anxieties, all of our worries, over on you. We declare that we are anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we let our requests be made known unto you. 
Thank you, Lord. We declare that we are carefree in Jesus' name. We are carefree in Jesus' name. We walk in love and we're worry-free. And there is nothing that hinders us from receiving all the blessings of God. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you keep your word to a thousand generations and show mercy unto your people. Say this after me. I am worry-free. I have cast my cares on the Lord. He has them, not me. I will not fret. I will not be anxious. I'll not worry about anything. I'll not be afraid because God is on my side. And no matter what comes, he sees me through. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Go live a carefree life.